You're listening to All to Playful, brought to you by Joe and Virgin Bet. Hello and welcome to All to Playful, brought to you by Joe and Virgin Bet, with me, Steve Sidwell and Wayne Bridge. Joining us today, uh, do you know what? It doesn't feel right. Should we? Uh, could, could you do this for us, please? Well, it's a very warm welcome to All to Playful, brought to you by Joe and Virgin Bet. With the Premier League second most famous ginger behind the variously pronounced Kevin De Bruyne, <laughs> Bruner, Brunner, Steve Sidwell, and the former, it says Premier League here, the former England left back on whom I commentated on the only memorable moment in his entire career. <laughs> Uh, what the earth are you doing there? You're supposed to be marking Robert Perez, you know? Wayne Bridge. Uh, oh, if you haven't guessed who this is already, this man is one of the most iconic voices in the game. He has led the ITV commentary team at five World Cups, five European Championships, been the lead commentator on 25 European Champions League finals, well, including the famous Man United final of 99 and Liverpool in Istanbul. Uh, a commentator that was of my nine. Dad. That was, I'm only 23. <laughs> a commentator of nine <laughs> FA Cup finals as well. Look, it can only be the one and only Clive Tilty. Clive, oh. absolute pleasure to have you on. I mean, I've got to say, it is mad to meet you because you the voice, yeah. and then you finally see I couldn't stop smiling when we met him in the coffee shop. Yeah. But I was like, it just seems mad to put your face to the voice. It's, it's obviously it's, seen you on TV, but to meet you. I've got a voice for radio, a, a, yeah. a face for radio. <laughs> Look, Clive, just reading that, I mean, it, it's just amazing what, what you've done in, in obviously your career and the games that you've you've been involved in the tournaments you've been involved. I'm you... trying to convince people today that I can still do this job. And people keep talking about games I commentated on 60 years ago. No wonder I can't get any work anymore. But you still, I'm you're, still alive. You're still doing it now. But do you, do you pinch yourself? Because I know you're a big, you're, you're a huge football fan and you love the game, but do you pinch yourself and just realise that what, you know, what you've achieved? Um, the people I've been privileged enough to meet and get close to is... The, the the biggest bonus, um, I mean, in in sort of contemporary football, Gareth Southgate, who we're going to talk about, was at our wedding. He's a mate, um, but to have been close to Stradic Ferguson and Bill Shankly and Brian Clough, um, and the life lessons you learn. Just, I mean, you you'll have managers who you maybe hated at the time, but now when you reflect, what, what you learned about them, about values and standards, about how to live your life as well as to live your professional career. So just to be around truly great people, great's an overused word in football, but I've been around some truly great people. Yeah, yeah look, we're going to come into managers a bit later on. Mm. Look, we want to go straight into it. Look, you, you basically are the voice that brings back so many memories to people as well. But just talk to us about like the prep that actually goes in to, to, to doing commentary. So, for instance, talk us through the week for the build-up to like a Champions League final, for instance, because you can't just rock up on the day, know your stuff, and then and then crack on. There's a lot more to that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, people often ask how much preparation you do, and the answer's simple, enough. Yeah. Enough to fit. Again, there are lots of parallels between what I've been doing for the last 100 years and what you guys have been doing. If, if you run out at whatever, 10 to 3, if there is such a thing as a 3 o'clock kickoff anymore, and you know that either you're not feeling great or you're carrying a bit of wine, or maybe you did have 
a night out on Wednesday and <laughs> just don't feel whatever. There's a few that have done that. <laughs> and you can't afford it. I mean, the, yeah. the margins are so slender in, in the modern game um, that you'll get found out. Yeah. And, and you know it in, you, in your own mind. And sometimes at the end of the game, somebody will pat you on the back and say, well played, you were great today. Mm. And you know in your own mind you weren't. Um, and equally, the, the opposite can happen. Well, I'm the same. Yeah. I mean, as long as when the red light comes on and, and Mark Pugach or Laura Woods or whoever it is hands to me, mm. as long as I feel confident yeah. with with what's in front of me. And yeah, I have the notes. And I'm just going to surprise Wayne with some with some notes that I've produced for him. So, um, so but, these would be these would be sort of well, the ideal commentary notes well, that you that well, you would done before. Well, this is a little bit different. There are there are two kinds of. Um, Sort of, we have a little business now uh, with prints of the, the notes that I did. You can some, plug it, don't worry. It's all good. It's is this the original, though? It's called commentary charts. <laughs> called commentary charts. Commentary charts. Yeah, yeah. and um, commentarycharts.com. You'll find some great games, but you'll also find some great seasons. And what we've got here is what I keep for uh, every major club, really, which are the results and appearances. And I, I do it, obviously, week by week so that I can refer to, and I've got my own reference. And this is Chelsea's 2004-2005 season. Wow. Oh, mate, Look I'm at that. I'm absolutely buzzing with that. Look at that. Honestly. That thank is you. absolutely. So, I honestly love that. So, absolutely. So, on that. two more requests, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you after about that. So, so Claude, just on that, that on that is the, play, is, the, is the the season and the players and, and each performance, is it? What they've uh, done. And, and goals? Uh, yeah, goals. Wow. Substitute appearances, uh, unused substitutes. League position, attendance. How many goals and did Bridget get that year? Do we know? He only scored one in his I... career, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. That was the oh, only one. It was the one. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, actually, that I remember your actual commentary for that game. I think it was like Wayne Bridge, Idiga <laughs> Johnson. It's Bridge. It's in. It's Chelsea's night. <laughs> Wayne Bridge has scored with only three minutes left to play. And Claudio Ranieri is celebrating a victory which much, much, which must mean so much to him. I've only watched it once. So I don't know how to, to remember that. He still managed to bugger, uh, bugger it up in the semi-final. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did, to be fair. Look, we're going to come on to, on to Champions League as well. Just staying on, on your, your day as well, on the day of the game, we obviously, most people know what it's like for a footballer. They turn up for the game at 1, 1.30, bit of pre-match and or, you know, the team's been down, then they go and play. What's it like for a commentator on the day of, of the game? Of, at the same? We tend what, to what be among the arrive? first there. I mean, um, my, my predecessor at ITV was the truly great, the late, great Brian Moore. Brian Moore yeah. And um, in 1998, he retired after the World Cup finals and ITV threw a little dinner. Only about 20 people. There's some really famous names there, you know, Des Lineman. People like that were working for us at the time. And they sat me next to Moro, um, and we both like our red wine. Mm. And, you know, two or three bottles down the line, we get to the end of the evening. And he taps me on the arm, and he says, there are only two things you need to remember. And I thought, oh, great. You know, the, the doyen of football commentary is about to impart the secrets of the job to me, and I'm yeah. pissed. I'm not going <laughs> to remember this in the morning. And he said, be on time yeah. and be warm enough. Very true. And then I'm thinking, is that it? Is that the best you can do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of your years in the business. And a year later, um, he was in the car with me driving to the most important football match I've ever commentated on, which was the Champions League final of 1999, because it was the climax of the first season after Brian yeah. Moore. And basically, if I'd messed up that night, I wouldn't be sitting here now. Uh, and he had um, a little kind of... Um, a corporate do corporate appointment with uh, with UEFA 
And he came in the car with me to, to Newcamp. And I, I'm fairly nervous. And he tapped me on the arm again. He said, do you remember what I said to you? I said, I do, yeah, Brian. And it was a major disappointment. <laughs> it was be on time and be warm enough. Yeah. And he said, I was saying to you, I think you're good enough. I think you're good enough to do this job. But you won't be good enough if you're late or if you're too cold. And it was actually the biggest compliment probably anybody's mm. ever given me in so much that in that in that simple... And you'll again, you'll have had managers look into your eye and say, there's only one thing you've got to remember. And you go, oh, okay, I yeah. need to get this in. And it's sometimes something slightly disappointing. But when you reflect on it, they're yeah. the only, if you think you are good enough yeah. and you've done the preparation... Just make sure you're there. Yeah. And make sure you're warm enough. Yeah, well, warm enough, definitely. I mean, I've done. Bridge, you've done a bit of punditry on the side. I've done co-coms uh, in <clears throat> in some in some stadiums, and and being warm is definitely a big Were you a big tip. It is nervous. It is nervous because I, it's one of the ones where when you're next to the, the lead commentator, they've got their notes and they've got their backup in case it's not a great game and there's not a lot to, to commentate on because you can only go into what's in front of you. So they've always got stuff to fall back on, right. and sometimes silence is. Is key. You don't have to on speak. TV, yeah. Not so good on radio. No, no, of course. <laughs> no, of course. But your, but your, but your job then hasn't been explained to you um, carefully enough. It's very simple. The co-commentator. The co-commentator is somebody who's been down there, across the yeah, white line, yeah. where I will never go, where yeah. Martin Tyler will never go, where Guy Mowbray will <clears> never go, and can come back and tell the rest of us what it's like down there, yeah. how you win and lose football matches, mm. and so you don't need to know the unbeaten run. You don't yeah. need to know which club this player was signed for and, and when. You're giving us a different kind of insight. Let us manage the, the stats. Yeah, Let us manage the facts. Let us manage the narrative of the game, the mm. drama of the game. Shout the names out. And then when there is something to analyse, then you tell us what we don't know. Yeah. And and that's that's all the job of the pundit and the co-commentator is. Mm. Did those nerves kind of disappear the more you did? Or did you still get nervous? Yeah, I mean, the, the nervous energy that I had before that game is the same before any game. It is an opportunity. And again, you'll have been told this in your career. The biggest games you've played, in actual fact, are the best chance to show what you can do. Yeah. So the bigger the audience, and I've, as it happens, commentated to an audience, I think, of 28.5 million at an England World Cup semi-final in, in Russia. Well, that's pretty much everybody. You know, yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, and in, in the Twitter world, you've only got to make one big mistake, and that's the end, really. It's probably You, you can certainly end your career yeah. if you have a mind to, um, because that, that's the jeopardy that goes with live broadcasting now. And again, not dissimilar to a footballer. You know, one goalkeeping error, one missed chance, one missed penalty. Mm. You know, I mean, asking questions about Harry Kane, really? Because yes. he's missed yeah. a penalty. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. We're human beings, there's human error. But we're in a pretty unforgiving world now. Yeah. And, and, and the analysis of footballers is bizarre. I mean, it's, it's far, far too much. But they, actually, the analysis of broadcasters, commentators, mm. is silly too. Yeah. Certainly online. So it, there is a, a respectful nervousness. There is a nervous energy we all need before we perform. But actually, the bigger the match, the better the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go right back to the start because um, we heard there's a, a, a great story about you and Brian Clough. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, and I can tell it. Um, Brian Clough was, if you like, my first manager. I, I, my first job was at a local radio station in Nottingham, and within six months, I was covering Nottingham Forest home and away. And Nottingham Forest at the time were a mid-table championship team. 
but Brian Clough had arrived to, to manage them. And incredibly, I mean, totally incredibly, I left as they were promoted to the top flight in 1977. They were European champions in 1979 mm. and 1980. So that's what happened. And I think they played a game in their promotion season at York in the December. Uh, and I think there were eight player, eight of the 11 players later became European champions. So the team didn't actually change no. very much from being a mid-table championship. But Cluffy was the manager. He was a bit of a bully. He uh, was drinking. And that is a matter of fact, not a, not a matter of gossip. Um, it's a matter of sad fact because it was what killed him. Mm. And it was the only fight that he couldn't win. Um, so he was a little unpredictable. And everybody who played for him at that time would tell you that. But at his best, he was just magnetic. And it, I often talk about standards. When I'm talking to sort of media students, I, I talk about standards. And I wonder whether that makes me sound old. Um, and it's interesting how many times you come into contact with people who are half my age who still believe in the standards that they were given by their first manager or their first coach or their first teacher or by a parent. And standards, I think, are particularly important in your game and I think they're important in my game. And I'm, I can be a bit of a bore on standards in broadcasting. But a simple lesson in standards was I arrived for my first game travelling with the team. We used to travel with the team. On the I used coach. to travel on... Well, Forrest used to, usually went by train. But my next job, I used to travel with the best football team in the world on the team coach, Liverpool or Everton. <laughs> I'd stay in the hotel the night before an away game. Guys were the same age as me. They were my mates, you know. Um, Cluffy was never my mate. Um, <laughs> but I turned up at Saturday, on a Saturday morning for the away... Uh, they had an away game in London, so they, they got the train from Nottingham Station down to Euston and then, and then got a coach. And um, I was as smart as I could possibly be. I looked like I'd just turned up for the... Um, uh, junior golf stable for champions. You know, I had a, I had a smart double-breasted blazer. I had button-down shirt, and and we used to call them slacks. You know, yeah. trousers with a really sharp um, uh, crease in them, shiny shoes. And I'm sitting there about 20 minutes before anybody else arrives. And eventually, about 15 minutes before the train leaves, Cluffy gets on, and he says good morning. And then he sort of walks past me, and then he checks and comes back. He says. Young man, you're very welcome to travel with the official nodding on for his party, but when you do, you wear a tie. I said, crikey, I'm very, very sorry. I, I, I won't let this happen again. I thought he might move on then. Young man, you're very, very welcome to travel with the official nodding on for but when you do, you wear a tie. I said, well, as soon as we get down to London, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find something. There'll be something at the station. I'll get one. Young man, very, very well, <laughs> and travel when the official nodding went. And, and, and then he put his hand in his pocket, got out, I think it was a 10 bob note, 10 shillings, and put it in my hand. His train leaves in 15 minutes. And I had to go. I had to run off the, it was a really hot August morning, and I ran up the platform. And fortunately, there was a gents' outfitters just opening about 100 metres down, down the slope from where the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Midland station was. I ran in there. The guy was still putting his stuff outside, you know. And uh, I just threw the tip up, grabbed a tie, said, thank you very much, <laughs> and ran back. And now I'm now my beautiful shirt, I'm sweating and everything. I'm in the state. And he comes back and he goes, very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I wore a tie to every football match that I covered from that point, which was 1976, to 1994. I did... Um, 
the opening week of the World Cup finals, I did a game at the Pasadena Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. Brian was dead by now. Um, but I was still turned up in a short sleeve shirt and a tie. And it was about 38 degrees or something. It was absolutely beating down. I was looking around me. Everyone else was in a T-shirt and shorts. Yeah. And I loosened my tie. And at halftime, I took it off. And I kind of looked. I'm not a religious person. Yeah. But I sort of looked up to the heavens and thinking, you watch, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hear my young man. Talking of tournaments, um, and you've done a hell of a lot. Richard, you've been involved with England. Yeah. I'd like to just go into the onto the. How England. many majors did you go to? Two, three. Uh, three. Yeah. Three. Yeah, three. I just Can't want to go into. Yeah. I want to dive. I dive into that start. into into the England scene because yeah. we're, we're talking France '98 when obviously you worked with, with Brian Moore and that was the start of your journey, and that was probably the start of the golden sort of generation as well. So and you've probably seen it go from its best to its a, a dip and then and hopefully now coming back up to that to that dip. What was your view on, in terms of when Michael Owen burst on the scene, and then and then what happened with England then going forward in terms of the pressure and the scrutiny that was really put on England in, from a broadcaster's point of view? Well, the, the England football team is the most popular team in the country, and we sometimes forget that. I mean, we've got some of the biggest football clubs in the world, uh, uh, you know, on in our league in our country. But if I mean, television viewing figures are not a true uh, democracy, but you. You can choose whether to watch a match or not. You can choose whether to turn on or not. And the audience figure for an England tournament game is two, three times bigger than for any club football match. Yeah. And this is the nation's team. I've had fans, when I've travelled, and I've done many England games in recent times, and sometimes when you travel, there are fans there of, I don't know, Bishop Stortford or... Bishop yeah. Auckland, and they said, this is our Champions League. Mm. You know, we, our, our club side will never reach this level, but we travel, these are our boys. You know, for, for what, for one week, a week and a half, these guys belong to us. And with that comes an awful lot of attention and expectation. I think pressure is an overused word in football. What is pressure? For me, it's expectation. Your expectations of yourself and other people's expectations of you. And for some reason, the expectations of you when you wear an England shirt, I mean, you you pull the, the, the shirt on. Mm. It's twice as heavy as a Chelsea shirt, isn't it? I think it's massive. I well, Since I've been playing, I think it's massive. I don't know if it was massive before that as well. And I don't know if it comes a lot from the press. Well, I would say it comes a lot from the press, but you'll be able to, you'll know more if you feel that way. If you feel like when I started, I felt like there was definitely more pressure from the press. Yeah, it, but that, me, that's only a reflection of how the public yeah. feel about the football team. Yeah. But they, they wouldn't write about the football team if nobody cared about the yeah. football team. I would say, looking at the tip, looking at the players I played, I said there's, a, there's players in there that I think could have de dealt with it easily. I think they're confident enough, they believe in their own ability. If they had a bad game, they'd hold their hands up and I think they deal with, they deal with it fine. But I reckon there would definitely have been some players that it would affect them a lot. Yeah. I, did, I, did, did, I, you, did you feel that in a specific tournament in terms of, so, so say, say for instance, 2002, uh, Japan, was it where we got beat by Brazil? We had a great chance, a, a fantastic squad I, of, 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 of progressing. But if you compare different there's no England doubt those players were good enough. enough. No, no doubt no, they, they were good enough. They won Champions League. I think I noticed it definitely more, good enough. more the yeah. further I played. For, for me, that was my first tournament. So yeah. I was just kind of. Happy to be there and, there and yeah. just enjoying it. I yeah. think it was the more I played, I noticed it yeah. and you could feel it. And it was, 
you know, it was... I don't know why we'd have new papers the day after a game in the hotel. No, like, no. I know you could hear about him going in, but I just don't... If we... If we're getting slated or anything, I just there's just no point in yeah. having in there if, the if, negativity. If the press are getting close around. to you as players, a broadcaster's getting close as well. Was you in and around less sort of so now? Um, I mean, um, particularly since COVID, uh, the, the kind of dressing room area has, 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 was emptied, obviously during that yeah. period. And I think we haven't tended to get back in. And I think inevitably the, the relationship between football and its media it, I could talk about for hours and hours and hours it's probably been the biggest change in all the years that I've spent in the game how the two have grown apart and the distrust has grown and so you've actually now got media offices within football clubs whose job is not to promote media contact it's yeah. to try to avoid it if yeah. possible it's yeah. to try to I think that's certainly try to manage it with mm. players after games you had to walk through the, mix the media yeah. and a lot of people some just wouldn't talk in the end. They just got fed up with the media, I think. I can understand that completely. Yeah. I think I think the fault is as much ours as, <clears throat> as it is football's. But I, I commentated on England-Iceland in, in 2016. Yeah. And my wife and I have been out with Roy and Sheila Hodgson. He's a friend. Yeah. And about two minutes from the end of that game, I've got somebody in my ear saying, you're going to have to say <laughs> he needs to go. If And I said, fine. I, I commented, I, I've got a little yeah. lazy button where I can speak back. And I said, um, I commentated on the 99 Champions League final. I'll wait for the final whistle if you don't mind yeah. before I actually, <laughs> you know, nail him to the cross. But Roy knew. Roy was gone. Roy yeah. resigned pretty much before the players had got off the field. He he knew he didn't need to tell him. But sure enough, yeah. I had to say about a friend that his position is now untenable yeah. and if you want to know if my job ever gets difficult that's probably yeah. when it gets its most difficult but he had on the field that night some of the most gifted footballers that we've seen that alone yeah. played with but the moment Iceland equalised and don't think we, we were given a penalty mm. in the second minute yeah. yeah, and that's what you only need to score the first goal against Iceland you're better than Iceland mm. you just can't afford to let them get ahead because they're very difficult to well, chase the game well, against I scored against Iceland yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. England, yeah. I mean, I that, think it was six one. Uh -huh. like that. I think I got this fifth or six. Yeah, it's yeah, a slightly scored, different score yeah, yeah. by them. But yeah, but right. the, <laughs> the players dis just dissolved before our very eyes, yeah. and there were bubbles coming out of their heads during the second half when they couldn't control it and couldn't pass it. Yeah. I mean, Wayne Rooney, Jack Wilshere, really, really technical, talented players. Yeah, and you could see the bubble thinking, "I'm a celebrity, get me out of here," and that's actually yeah. what it was you don't want to be there do you what not really it's it's so it's so you're proud hard. to play for your yeah, country you are so proud but when it's not going right you do wonder if people on that pitch are thinking what the repercussions what we're yeah, we going to get from this what we what comes off What's the back the of this we need yeah. a goal i think once you Just get that goal you do relax but i reckon there is definitely something going yeah. on in the players do you talk sometimes. to each other about it during the game oh no 100% not no honestly um, Why just as a macho sort of an ego bravado sort of? Do you you, you are concentrating on the game. You yeah. know what it's like. Oh yeah, you I know. Because yeah. I'm a bit like I would get nervous before games, but I'm very much like I would get across that white line, and it's just you just in concentration mode. But I do think the longer that game goes on, and you and you're expected to win, and you haven't got that goal, it might start to creep in mm. a little bit. Yeah, Clive. What what tournament for you do you think was the biggest? Not disappointing because we know. Say for instance, 2014, Brazil was was a bad one. But in terms of where we potentially should have 
gone on to or had our best chance to win a World Cup? Well, then, in your opinion, probably some, uh, um, you know, maybe 2004, 2006 were where we looked like something yeah. might happen. And because I've never been across the white line myself, yeah. I will always bow to the opinion of, of, of ex professionals yeah. or Ali McCoy's yeah. or whoever's sitting next to me. And so I'm not going to sit here and judge the golden generation. But I will argue with anybody who says, I don't think they were quite as good as, as they made out. Yeah. They were. Yeah. They were definitely. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, Ashley Cole. Skulls. Sorry. <laughs> yes, right. of course, Coles. <laughs> I mean, they were amongst the very best players in their position in the world. And I think they showed that, all of them, really, in, in Champions League football. So it's something to do with the England problem. Mm. And what we do have now, and okay, he's a mate, and he was at our wedding, and so, you know, I care about him. But we have somebody in charge who, whether you think he's the best coach in the world or the best manager in the world, or whether you think he makes the substitutions at the right time, for the England job and all of the responsibility that goes with managing England, all the diplomacy you've got mm. to show, all of the examples you've got to, to set, not just within football but beyond, dealing with issues of racism, yeah. dealing with guys who broke the COVID uh, uh, lockdown uh, regulations and so on, making judgments at the moment about Kyle Walker and Ivan Tony, whether you, you've got to justify having them in your team because you're going to get asked about it. Gareth Southgate is just a big grown-up man who is a very intelligent, um, very, uh, very thoughtful individual. Mm -hmm. And whatever you think about any issue to do with England, he'll be way ahead of you. He'll have thought it through already. And that's why we're in good hands. And I just hope that the players now realise the potential they've yeah. shown and go on and crown his time in charge with a success because I think he's managed England so well at a really, really difficult time. Do, I th do you think he's... I Well, do you think... I think he's done quite well in terms of... They seem really close as a team. No, he's definitely changed the culture and yeah. the environment. No and, yeah. and he's let... I think it was he's true under Roy, in fairness. I think that's a start happened under Roy. Yeah. Right, okay. um, and, and I think... You know, Roy's regime was very popular with the players. Roy and Ray Lewington, Gary Neville was um, was part of that team. And I think all that sort of Liverpool said at one time when Manchester United said, I think that had all gone away mm. uh, by then. And, you know, they didn't have the best of luck in, in 16. But um, I, I, I just think everything's magnified now. I think even in the last 10 years, the pressures, the jeopardy on footballers has changed, you know, with social media and so on and so forth. And... Um, to, to have to manage these players who don't belong to you, who just sort of come into your realm for the space of, well, actually, it's only 10 days, really. And, so, and it's often now three games in 10 days. So you've got no time with them on, yeah. on the training ground. And then have to deal with the issues that arise as a result of the selections you've made. I think he's a wonderful man. And the only thing I can tell you about Gareth Southgate is that that is him. There's no front. That's yes, the yeah. man. Yeah, that yeah. is the man. He's, that's the man I know. Great that's That's Ali's husband. Yeah. That's the, the, the girl's dad. That's, yeah. that, that is definitely him. Yeah. Just before we move on, <clears throat> just leave it on, Gareth. You're talking to him as a friend and, and what you see. Do you think he, it was right for him to stay on? I know it's very hard to walk away from an England job, but would you have liked to have seen him step away in terms of the potential that what that squad's got? He feels as though he can get them and we're getting ever so close. I'm just totally sp uh, split in two in, in answer to that question. On the one hand, I'm absolutely convinced he's the right man for the job. Mm. On the other hand, he's a mate who I don't want any harm to come to yeah. of, of any kind. 
And I, you know, last June was really, really difficult for him. And I know that. And I, he doesn't open up to me in a big way, but we exchange messages and, and, and you, you know, the sense. vibe's coming off. Yeah. And, and there's, there's no doubt how disturbing that was for him. But his reasoning is just so Gareth that in the end, the decision came down to not how this is affecting me. I've signed a two-year contract. I'm an honourable man. I will see this two-year contract through if England and the players want me. The decision he took was whether my presence is starting to infect the whole yeah, squad and yeah. team and the whole England picture. If just whoever he picks is now Gareth Southgate's England and, and therefore mm. is doomed to failure, then he would have stepped back and he would have said, on you go, you know, do it with somebody else. Um, but as soon as he was assured, and I think we played well enough at the World Cup finals uh, for that, you know, for that issue, if you like, to yeah. go away a little bit, then there's no doubt that he, he say, he is, he has the loyalty to see out his contract yeah. and he'll do it. He'll do it properly. Well, we are right behind him and, uh, yeah, hopefully we can go always one further in, yeah. the, in the next tournaments. Um Look, let's get back onto the Premier League. Uh, is it true you're a big Man United fan? I was a Manchester United fan home and away um, in my teens. Um, I'm from Bury. Um, my dad was a big United fan. He took me when I was five. Um, I actually went to Gig Lane, Bury, before I was born. We lived next door to the Bury manager, would you believe? When I came into the world, our next door neighbour was the manager of Bury. And, uh, and my mum went to watch them play when she was pregnant. Um, so I should have been a Bury wow. fan, and I'm a bit of a closet Bury fan to this day. Um, but my dad took me to Old Trafford, and they had Besslow and Charlton, and Bury didn't. And um, <laughs> they were, you know, they were glorious, glorious times to be a young football fan. Yeah. But um, when I got my dream job and I got into radio straight from university, suddenly I was spending nearly all my time with Nottingham Forest players who were the same age. Me, Martin O'Neill was my first big friend in football and he's still a great friend to this day. And it just, I can't, no football fan would understand it, but it just went away. Mm. The whole Manchester United thing went away. Yeah. And the first TV game I ever did was Manchester City 5, Manchester United 1 in 1989. And I wasn't at all perturbed about mm. the result. If, if anything, I, the, it was early relationship with Fergie. It was still a bit difficult. Um, and I had more friends probably at Main Road as it was then in, in the camp at Main Road. Mel Mechin was really, really good to me. So I was actually pleased for the likes of um, David White and Ian Brightwell and, you know, the guys yeah. uh, that played, Ian Bishop who played in that team. They were mates of mine. So, yeah, and it's gone away to this day. And who do I support now? I support my mates. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, look, Man United, they uh, <clears throat> got through to the FA Cup final, uh, semi-final um, on the weekend, beating... Fulham. Richie, we mentioned last week Ashley Barnes yeah. getting two of the quickest yellow cards <laughs> yeah. probably in the history of football. Uh, Fulham had three people dismissed in 270 seconds. I mean, it was a moment of madness. I don't know whether you guys see the game. I got back yeah. from, I was at um, Bramall Lane, but I got back to see the second half. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, they controlled the game for 75 minutes and they threw it away. But how much of that would Marco Silva have to look at and go, well, if I didn't lose my temper then Mitrovic might have stood on the pitch and we, we could have had a, a better chance I think at 1-1 if the penalty kick still goes in they've still got a great chance with 10 men rather than 9 
I'm a, I, I'm a little, I was a little bit like, if you're going to get sent off, you might as well do something worthy of getting sent off. <laughs> you might as well go full Duncan Ferguson and have a right go <laughs> instead of a... Do you know what I mean? You know you can't touch the ref. No. For one. No. And even the little chest, it's just handbags in it. And I, it, it looked back and probably It was almost a complaint, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it was. Yeah. A, it's definitely... No, you're, you're saying, it's no. like, it's terrible. You should be able to touch the ref. No, you're, no. You're not, <laughs> not, not that you should be able to touch the ref because obviously the respect to the game, you know, a rugby player obviously would never do it. They always yeah. say what footballers are like and... You do get wound up in the moment, but you, you just can't, can you? And like I said, that's why I'm a bit like, if you're going to do something, then they might as well do it properly. Yeah, but I mean, it's controlling this, it's, emotions, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's very it's tough. Hard. It's fascinating. It I, I'm, I'm just writing um, a, a media program for the PFA for former players. But I'm going to be part of um, a media course, which the PFA are going to run uh, in order to help players get ready for a career either in coaching or management or or maybe the uh, the media. And I've talked a lot about in the interview section that the post-match interview. I mean, you've done them. Mm. I've, I've I've got a really good friendship with Mick McCarthy, and the first time I met Mick uh, was at a charity golf thing, and somebody sort of said, "Do you know Mick?" And I sort of said, "Yeah." And he says, "No, you don't." Uh-huh. And he shook my hand, and I looked into my eyes. I said, well, I've interviewed. He says, "Yeah, that's all." He says, "That's not Mick McCarthy." And I said, what do you mean? He said, the guy that walks out of the dressing room at 10 to 5, yeah. whose team just got beaten 3 F and nil, yeah. he said, and you're the first person I meet, and you're going to start asking me difficult questions. That's not me, McCarthy, no. you're talking to. It's very and, true, isn't it? And, 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 and you've got to somehow try to manage your emotions. Yeah. And it's easy for us to stand a, a step back and just scratch our heads, because it's a clear penalty. Yeah. And it's a clear red card. Yeah, yeah. So what on earth are Mitrovic and the manager getting worked up about, except you do? Yeah. It's football. It's, it's emotions. Yeah, it's, it is. It's hard. Yeah, it is clear. I'll tell you what, though. Some refs, I'm not blaming the ref at all for this, but you, you, you've had it. You might, you might have had it. I've definitely had it. With some refs, they can just wind you up in a way that they won't even speak to you. They literally yeah. just ignore you, and you're even just trying to speak to them. I guess he was obviously speaking and he was quite aggressive. But I think the ref just ignoring him and not giving him the time of day definitely helped him lose his head a yeah. bit more. Yeah. I think, yeah, some refs for me just, they can just wind you up the wrong way. We're getting to the, the crunch part of the season, aren't we? Uh, Clive, how have you found the season in general? Premier League, well, it's a bit, a bit unprecedented with the World Cup in the middle, but are you shocked to see where certain clubs are or are you... Well, the, I mean, the bottom half is fascinating, obviously. And yeah. that's, I mean, we, you know, we have this thing about it'll go all the way to the wire. And we thought we might have a title race two or three months ago involving more than two teams. Um, I think at the top, I think Manchester City are not quite right. I have a theory about this, um, that Liverpool and Manchester City have been beating each other up for the last five years mm. for our entertainment. And it's been fantastic. The rivalry has just been so intense, uh, two of the title races they've had have literally gone into the last 15, 20 minutes of the final game. They've been absolutely wonderful rivalries in, in Europe and in domestic competition. And I think, I think they're a bit weary. Mm. And I think that actually the two truly great managers they've got are a little bit weary. And Arsenal are really good. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we all hopefully admit our mistakes in, in football. You know, two years ago, I wouldn't have given Mikel Arteta more than a couple more months. Mm. Not just because of the results, but 
I actually felt, and I didn't say publicly in a commentary, that he was asking the players to do something they couldn't do. Well, I was wrong. And, and he carried on asking the yeah. same questions of them. And eventually they found answers. And they're a wonderful football team to watch. I thought all or nothing was a terrible mistake. Opening the doors, seeing them well, I fail. it was a great watch. Well, it was a great watch. But if you were in that dressing room <clears throat> and you didn't win that Champions League spot, and they were playing better than Tottenham in the yeah. closing weeks of last season, but they did, you know, blow it. Well, as I say, I think probably what the program gave us was an insight into the fortitude that he'd built, which I thought was a little bit kind of theatrical, watching the program and actually even listening to his interviews at the end of last season. But I was totally wrong about him. And, you know, there's a big debate at the moment about who Arsenal's man of the season is. Um, for me, it's Mikel Arteta. Mm. You know, I think... Yeah. I think they are a wonderful commercial for his coaching ability, the way they play. And I think they'll see it through. I do. Um, at the other end of the table, we're looking at the likes of Southampton, Bournemouth, Forest, Everton, Wolves, Leeds, Leicester, Palace. Any of them could go down. West Ham are in there as well. Uh, Bridgie, we touched on this last week. Can you remember your, your th three? I think whatever I say, they seem to go and win. So... Um... I think I said Leeds to go down, I think. Yes. Southampton and Leeds. I said Everton will you be out of it. Bournemouth. I said, I fought Bournemouth. The way they... Can, can you remember it? You didn't actually say... You... I didn't confirm my third time. I didn't want it. I don't think you can call it. I just don't think you can call it. Um, I thought the way Bournemouth had been playing, there seemed like a bit of a belief there. that I just fancied them to get out of it. Okay. So you're still um, sit, sitting on the edge of the third? I'm still sitting on the edge. Okay. I am, to be honest. Let's have your league winner... And an FA Cup winner from you, please. League winner. Who's going to win the league? Can Arsenal do it? I, I think Arsenal, you know, after what they did against Bournemouth, the last minute winner and the way they've been playing, I don't want to. I don't want them to win it, yeah. but I just think that the way they've been playing, everything. I FA Cup, Man City, United, no. Brighton or Sheffield United? I've got to go City, you know, being an next blue, <laughs> I've got to go City. Um, I think Man United have been very inconsistent. I know Man City have as well, but I think Man United have been too up and down. But if, if they both end up in the final, then... Yeah. You know, it's a, it's one of them games. Yeah. It's going to be a tough, but I just fancy City to take it. Clive, bottom, I, I, bottom I, I three. I commented on Sheffield <coughs> United versus Blackburn on uh, what a game. last weekend. Wow, a terrific match. Yeah, and um, a little bit of sort of sapphire and steel. There were a few more long balls than you might see perhaps <laughs> in a Premier League game, but I think actually they were both at it, and they probably played more long balls than they would do in a Championship game. You know, I think that the two teams that can play. But there were some really mm. excellent players. On the field, mm. you know, and Jai and uh, uh, Sander Berger, um, you know, really elegant, good yeah. f uh, footballers. So I won't answer the question you asked me, but I think what's coming up will be interesting. And, and I think because Burnley are clearly very, very good, um, it looks like Sheffield United or Middlesbrough. And then whoever comes out of the playoffs, if Blackburn or anything to go by, are going to be a really good team. And I've watched both teams quite a lot in the build-up to Sunday's game. Yeah. And I think the good news for them is that because there are 10 relegation candidates in the Premier League, whichever three goes down, there are going to be seven that weren't particularly good. Mm. So I think it's a good season to get promoted from the Championship. Is. I think, you know, some of the teams that escape this time will be relegation candidates again next season. Yeah. I'm going to put it on you. Arsenal or Man City for the league? Oh, Arsenal. 
You really think, yeah? I, I'm not absolutely convinced, but, I, but I, I've yeah. given it some thought. Yeah. And it's I the first just... week I said Arsenal, so hopefully they lose <laughs> next week. <laughs> I think it'll be Arsenal or Manchester City. Yeah. That's the kind of punditry that you wanted, we'll wasn't it? We'll yeah. sit on the fence again. <laughs> um, quick odds on the FA Cup win outright. Manchester United are 9-4 to four to win the FA Cup. For, uh, odds there from Virgin Bet. Uh, look, it's time now to uh, play our new game, the Virgin Bet Builder game. Each week, our friends at Virgin Bet have picked out a match for us to do five predictions. Match result, correct score, and first goal scorer. We'll then have two mystery markets of their choosing. Each correct prediction will win you a point. The harder the prediction, the more the points. Uh, a reminder that if our guests beat Wainbridge over the series, you'll be buying me dinner. But if you beat our guests then I'll be uh, buying you dinner. And it looks like I'll be having to book a table, Wayne, because At you Zuma. are... Uh, yes, because uh, you had a scorcher last week. You beat Charlie Adam by the same scoreline that City beat Burnley 6-0. So at the moment, you are 11-1 up in the series. So Clive, we need, to, we need some he help. Needs you. We yeah. need some help. That's a £50 note. Is Oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going uh, an eight-all draw. Um, thanks, Wayne. Uh, so this week, this week I'm going to try. This week I'm going to try and claw it back. Um, we've got the usual three and a couple more interesting ones. I'm going to go for the international break. So we're heading to Italy with England for our trips. For hopefully, I wish a Euro qualifier. <laughs> um, so free prediction for the bet builder, uh, Clive. I'm going to go to you first. So can I have please uh, the first goal scorer? Who's going to win and the correct score, please? Italy one, England two. <laughs> so that's an England win, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really going to stick my neck out and the first goal scorer. I'm going to go for the... He's the actually England, England captain and he does score goals and he's called Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> you have got inside you, information. You can't have him. Camp. <laughs> I'm going uh, a bit I, wilder I, for I the can, others. I can have Harry Kane, can't I? You can have whoever you want. Yeah, yeah. Okay. right, I can. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go different. Um, so England, I'm give one, you a chance. England, Harry Kane. England win two one. Two one. Harry, Harry Kane, Kane scores the yeah. first goal. There we go. I'm going Harry Kane. Yep. Um, is this first goal scorer? Sorry. Yes. Yeah, I'm going Harry Kane first goal scorer. But I'm gonna go for a one one draw. Cool. And is this what was the nope. other thing? That's, That's it. it. Yeah, one, yeah. One, one, one one draw. Yeah. Draw, yeah. One, so one. draw. Yeah. Harry okay. Kane. Uh, so the next two are going to be the mystery markets is the last goal scorer. So the last goal scorer and a player to be carded in the game. So Clive, I'm going to go to you first again. I'm giving you the same answer for both. <laughs> Harry <laughs> Maguire. Harry Maguire oh, will head the winner very soon oh. after being shown a yellow card. Really? Yes. Love that. That's brilliant. So that, could, that, that there could get no, me back in the game. Do you know what? I was, I'm going Harry Kane, obviously, but I was going to go Harry Maguire, but I'm going to give you a chance, Siddy. What, Harry Maguire own goal? You've got one. No. One. <laughs> yeah, I could do that, actually. That'll help you right out. Harry Kane, Harry Kane. I was going to go Harry Maguire for yellow card and give you Lay a chance. Off Harry Maguire, will you? Have you gone for him for the yellow card? Of course I've yeah, gone yeah, for a yellow so, card. He's competitive. Um, <laughs> Verratti yellow card. There you go. So Verratti, Verratti for the yellow, for the, to, for, to be yeah. carded, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, look, there's our predictions. If you want to build your bet, you can. Just download the Virgin Bet app and head over to Bet Builder. Please visit Virgin Bet for full terms and conditions. You have to be over 18 to play. And please, please gamble responsibly. We're all big advocates of that on this table as well. Look, we've got to talk about Champions League. 
I know you want to. You're you're looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to this section. Look, we've got to start on '99 with Manchester United. That was 1999. 1999. I did. Uh, the, I did the 1899 final. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Manchester United final, 1999 Champions League. I mean, it's iconic. The ending to it, the commentary. You obviously having being a, a main Manchester United fan. Yeah, that up, really but, didn't matter by then, uh, to be honest. It really but even didn't. just the line that it, it's Manchester United. You know, they always score, wasn't it? I think it was. was yeah, it was which like was that. inaccurate. <laughs> they drew nil nil on Blackburn the week before. Um, it was. I think. I, I, I made mention of the late great Brian Moore, um, who was my predecessor, who retired after the 98 World Cup final. So it was a massive match for me a year on from that. Uh, I suppose I was still kind of on trial. Um, and uh, if I'd messed up those two or three minutes in front of an audience or whatever, 20 odd million, then um, yeah, they'd have probably moved me on and uh, tried to find somebody more senior to come in. So they were important. They're important minutes in, in my career, quite apart from anything. It wasn't a very good game, you know. No, no. I've the last the 10 minutes were sensational. Yeah. Um, Bayern hit the woodwork twice, you know, 1-0 up, and they hit the woodwork twice. And obviously the two substitutes scored the goals. And what I always, I mean, the, what I always say about that game is, you know, there's an element of sort of Fergie's, the, the greatest post-match interview ever, football bloody hell. I don't ask me what happened there. Yeah. It did. And there was that element of fate. But if... If you had a corner kick to win a football match in 1999, who would you want taking it? Of anybody in the world, David Beckham. Mm. If you were going to play a near post corner, yeah. who would you want on the near post more than anybody in the world? Probably Teddy Sheringham. And if you had brought on a substitute to react to a ball coming to him at it's waist so height is, and yeah. side-footed really. into the roof of the net Never past the guy on the line... Yeah. It was actually the most perfect set piece and it was executed by three of the very best practitioners of what they did in the world. That's not luck. No. That's rehearsal. Yeah. So how, just talk us through how, because like you said there about the game being emotionally and, and being wrapped up in it, how hard or how easy is it for you to just get it out naturally in terms of what Man United just achieved there in terms of like, scoring the two goals to win the Champions League final in the last few minutes? Well, I think um, I, I did say some things which fortunately become kind of part of people's memories of, of the match. Obviously, there were 90,000 in the stadium, but there were 25 million watching it on TV. Mm. It was a TV event for yeah. most of the people that saw it. Um, I think probably the, if I listen back to it, the best pieces of the commentary, if you listen after the two goals, the two Manchester United goals, I say nothing for about eight seconds after each. My mentor in the business was another late great, Reg Guttridge, a boxing commentator who took me under his wing and taught me a lot. And he always promoted the value of silence in television commentary. But he used to say to me, it's not resting time, it's thinking time. Mm. When you're not saying something, you should be thinking about what comes next. And after a goal, late in a game, what comes next should be tomorrow morning's headline tomorrow morning's tabloid headline. You should be able to editorialise that moment, come up with the importance of it. And he said, a great goal deserves far more than, oh, amazing, fantastic, wonderful. It deserves some kind of conclusion which will put it in its place for all time. So um, I said, um, name on the trophy when they equalised, which was a bit sort of slightly bizarre, but it was that feeling that this is meant to be, yeah. trebles on, 
And even though they haven't played particularly well tonight, they found an equaliser. Their name must be on the trophy. Uh, and Solskjaer has won it was sort of... It actually broke the cardinal rule of commentary because there was still a minute to play. And if Bayern had gone down the other end and equalised, had gone to extra time penalties, they'd yeah. have won the penalty shootout, wouldn't they? They were Germans. Um, and an effigy would, <laughs> of me would have been hanging from the Arndale centre <clears> by midnight, you know. <laughs> um, but you, you sense that that the equaliser had flattened Bayern. They're, yeah. they're, they're, we'd never really been used to seeing German football faces beaten. It was that generation, yeah. really, where if you think back to the Euro 96 final and the strut of Andy Muller after he scored the, mm. the penalty, you know, when Gareth um, had his saved, um, that was that was German football. And even Mateus coming off, essentially, to clean his hands to go and get the trophy, the one trophy he'd never lifted, and then Basler, who'd scored the goal, came off and he was conducting yeah, the crowd. Yeah. And they knew they'd won, except it's football. <clears throat> and they hadn't. Bloody, it's football bloody hell. And they hadn't won. And the faces of the Bayern fans, it was almost like they'd witnessed some terrible car accident or something. They were just in shock. Yeah. And, and that was with the equaliser. And they were just there to, to be beaten then. I mean, we moved into the millennium then and... I've just written down here the notes that Arsenal at Highbury, United Old Trafford, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, Liverpool, Anfield. There were some great nights, all of them. And what was it like? Was there a real... We spoke last week about the Anfield atmosphere yeah. on a Champions League night. Was there a real sense of a different aspect of the game on a Champions League evening? Yeah. At, at were you all there of them for the stadiums? first goal? Either 05, the no. semi-final? No, Garcia. Garcia. I, I didn't... I didn't play. But you were there, were you? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. extraordinary. But, yeah. You know, I always get asked best atmosphere and you always upset somebody. Um, but Celtic Park and Anfield on a, on a European... And maybe it's You'll Never Walk Alone, which they both yeah. sing with the scars up. But, I mean, the, there's a, the commentary position at, at um, Celtic Park is like a little crow's nest which sort of hangs from this antique roof and it literally rocks around. The poor camera guy next to you holding on for dear life, trying to cover the game when the place is bouncing. And, you know, there's some great atmospheres in British football, but very few of them that are intimidating, like in Greece or yeah. Turkey. So but Anfield is pretty... I would yeah. think when you walk out of Anfield, you, you know, you see the sign and maybe even touch the side of your belt, that course, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know you're up against more than 11 guys in red, don't you? Definitely, yeah. And the Champions League, as a player, the Champions League music for me is just brilliant yeah. going out. You do feel the difference. But Chelsea at the time, Chelsea-Liverpool, it was a massive rivalry. Yeah. Like I mentioned last week about Liverpool fans asked one of the games. They were still there the day after and we were on a coach and it kicked off. They were chasing after the coach, smashing the coach. It was a massive rivalry. Mourinho hated Liverpool with a passion and it was massive. But... I think for me, the ones that stand out the most in terms of atmosphere, probably Everton. Yeah, that's so close to the pitch. Yeah, yeah. We talk about Champions yeah. League though, but yeah, Champions League stay on, on Champions League. Richie, you've obviously yeah. the highlight of one of your yeah. part of your career. Would you say yeah. scoring the, um, the goal? At, yeah, at it has Highbury. to be. Clive, really. you, I don't. Clive, score, you commentated mate. the you game. Did commentate, yeah, I did. Yeah, he remembers it. Yeah, I, I do remember <coughs> it. I do remember it. Um, it was a terrific it's, game. Oh, was that, great oh, this, is a, this is amazing, but you must have notes for that game. I was actually going to ask you. I was for. looking for them this yeah. morning and I couldn't find You'll them. You'll have to see if you find them. But um, for me, it was 
it was just unbelievable. You know, you could see by my face, yeah. and it, it was. It, I, I remember it. I just I've only watched about it. ten minutes earlier. There was one kicked off the line. Was I'd had a yeah, big chance. Didn't Ashley it? Cole just cleared one off the yeah. line, and then a few minutes later, I just remember getting the ball, um, one two of Ida, and you know, I've obviously watched it more than once. But it was Wayne Bridge. Ardigan Johnson, it's Bridge, <laughs> it's in, it's Chelsea's night. And, and the Chelsea fans were in the corner, weren't they? Yeah, I went yeah. straight in, just waved everyone over. Um, great ground, great place. Yeah, the harbour was great. Oh, good. Oh, the pitch, was, everything. It was such a lovely stadium. Best tunnel yeah, for a ruck yes. in English football, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Narrow, yeah. can't get away from the guy who wants no, to fight him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a <laughs> very true for years. I don't know who you were commentating with. That night, Big Ron. But I, I was at Big Ron. I remember it panned to Ranieri, and he was going absolutely mental. And he must have said, "Oh, calm down, calm down." Over the commentary, <laughs> yeah. he was going mental. Big Ron. Yeah, it's not over yet. He, was going, he looks happy. Calm down. He's going back down. to '99. That's why. That's what. Uh, that's what <laughs> yeah. doing. No, Chelsea didn't obviously make it to their final that year, but they they, they did go uh, and get it in away. Munich with the Drogba header yeah. again. Yeah. Another last gasp. Sort you know, of hurrah! I mean. I, th- I think one or two teams have won the Champions League when they've not been at their best. Yeah. I wonder whether... I said that this Manchester City are absolutely fantastic, but I don't think they're quite right this season. And, that, and as a result of that, there's a part of me thinks they might just do it this season, you know? Yeah. I mean, they've got a really tough quarterfinal now. But, um, I mean, that wasn't Chelsea Chelsea's finest team. No. But, by the way, I mean, listen, Alan Shearer's a mate of mine, best, best centre-forward the Premier League's ever seen. I, I think Drogba played teams on his own some nights. Mm. I thought he yeah. was absolutely was unbelievable. Fantastic. That header was unbelievable. He was he used to just bully people. And I, I think players used to find it so annoying to play against him because he was so strong that he'd bully them. But then he'd get a little nudge and he'd just dive on the floor and roll about. And <laughs> yeah. they found it so hard because they'd want to compete with him and be strong. But then he, he was great at diving. You, well. you don't know my commentary after, when Drogba equalised? What about that? Yeah. What yeah. about yes. that? Yes. What about yes. that? He was the go-to man. Liverpool had the go-to man in Steven Gerrard as well. Istanbul. Oh God, I yeah. mean, we all thought it was all, all over at half-time. And, and no one see that comeback. But again... Oh, nobody. I, I was looking up in the record books all half-time for, the, you know... Bigger big, scores. Bigger scores. Really. And, and so on. And... Um, that was, I'm going to be really, really cruel here. That was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. There were five or six players in that Liverpool team who deserved two medals. Stephen probably deserved about three. Mm. And there were five or six who really didn't deserve a medal at all. It, again, it wasn't a particularly good Liverpool team. They played much better two years later against Milan and yeah. lost. Um, but if you, if you look at that lineup, I mean, there's some very strange names in it. Harry Kuehl only lasted half an hour or so. Um, but Stephen played in three different positions that night. And whenever I, I was around football on Merseyside at the time with the great team of the late 70s and early 80s, whenever anybody asked me to put together my all-time Liverpool eleven, I almost start with him because he didn't have Dalglish in his team, he didn't have Hansen and he didn't have Rush in his team and he didn't have Clemens in goal. And so, I mean, there must have been times when we were playing against Liverpool. I know Chelsea tried to buy him in that era when you thought you were almost playing against him and Jamie, I think. Mm. He, was ama- he, he was amazing. It was like... <sighs> In the England setup, just watching him play his passing, the way he was, he was a proper leader. Um, it just didn't seem to gel with him and Lamps in midfield sometimes. But no, for think, me, he was just unbelievable. Yeah. And we, we did try to buy him because I remember 
as Chelsea players, we were chatting to him in the England mm-hmm. setup. Yeah. You know, you, you, I he don't know if this close. is true. Yeah, he oh, was, he's very, he was. don't know how true this is, but he was definitely getting threats from fans 100% I would have thought uh, yeah. you, know, you hear also, it and also love from fans saying yeah. please don't go yeah. oh 100% yeah. yeah he was he was loved and adored and he loved the club didn't he so that must it, for him to leave it would have took you always a lot knew of something special for him Steve, to leave. you always knew when you come off the pitch that yeah. you've, you've had a tough game he was always one of England's best players I like him played. a lot I, I yeah. hope, he's a great player management turns out <clears> well for him um, I, I've actually worked for Rangers TV um uh, for for the year of the the lockdown, the year that you know they won the, they won the league back under him, and so got quite close to him again yeah. uh, then. And so yeah, I've got a feeling for his his absolute passion for the game. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why it didn't happen at Villa because it was a wonderful opportunity yeah. for him. But there you go. I mean, now we're, we're looking at a situation where his success is having a bit of a problem mm. sustaining success yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine he's very demand, not demanding the players, but he demands quality a bit like Mourinho because yeah. he worked so hard. Yeah. In training, he was always on top form. So I can imagine he demands quality. Yeah, the best Fa- Fascinating because I would count him as a friend and I hope he would say the same. And in the build-up to a Rangers game, he would help me with, you know, squad and maybe some team ideas. Um, I would often speak to him on the phone uh, on the morning of a game and then I'd get to the stadium and see him maybe at half past one briefly. They, they were in lockdown time, so we had to kind of socially distance. Don't, different guy. Yeah. Different guy. I, on the phone in the morning, he was talking about Alex and the kids yeah. and, and how, you know, how's your wife and stuff, and, and then maybe give me a bit of information. But then when he got the game face on, I'm thinking, it's me, you know, it's mm. still, still me. He yeah. treated me totally yeah, differently yeah, because yeah. he was in the, in the zone. In the zone. Yeah. Well, look, Obviously, he was a, a massive part of Liverpool. You obviously was a big part of Liverpool as well in terms of the city, big fabric um, of, of the city covering Everton and Liverpool and their their success, and also in the tragedy as well in terms of Hazel. You weren't Hillsborough, but you're obviously credited with being such a big part of of the city after <clears throat> working for Radio City. How big is or how important is Radio City for the culture of Liverpool? It was more important then because. Um, the radio station had more football rights and so on. That's not the case um, anymore. But Liverpool and Glasgow, Newcastle to a certain degree, they're almost independent from the UK. They're, they're almost different. They're, they're, they're so different, I think. And if you're fortunate enough, and I feel very fortunate that I spent some time on Merseyside, a decade or more, um, and as an outsider, a mank, you know, mm. um, to, to be accepted and to make so many sort of uh, friends and, yeah, just become a part of the culture of the city. Um, I actually I actually look back with, with great fondness in my time there, but obviously it was blighted by two terrible human tragedies. And I, I never use the word tragedy or disaster to describe a goalkeeping error. Um, people die in tragedies and disasters, and I kind of learnt that. Uh, one terrible night in Brussels where I went to cover a football match and finished up counting bodies. I'd never seen a dead body in my life. And that night I saw them piled on top of each other. And then I had to go back to a microphone and try and describe what I'd seen. You know, this is pre-mobile phones and uh, any kind of remote broadcasting. You, you, Your reporting was going to the front line and looking, and counting, and then coming back and recalling it live to an audience. So that was a very upsetting experience for me. And I'll tell this story as quickly as I can because it deserves a longer telling because it's Hillsborough. 
and all of the injustice that is, has, has been a part of the aftermath of Hillsborough upsets me to this day. But I was at, there were two semi-finals that day. Everton played at Villa Park, and I covered the Everton game. And on my way back, um, I heard everything about what had happened at Hillsborough. No mobile phone in 1989. So I, I walked back in the house on Merseyside, and um, my wife said, you've got a phone call from your boss, who was actually a really, really good friend. You're in for a phone-in the, in the morning. I said, no, I'm not going in. I said, they've done it again. Because Heisel was an act of hooliganism. It was awful. Um, it was um, indicative of what was happening around UK football at the time. But it was, a, it was an awful act. It, it, I, I would go so far as to say it was close on murder. Um, and I just thought this had happened again, because that's how it was being reported as, as, as I drove back from Birmingham. And I was dragged in to do the phone-in the next morning. And as I walked through the door of Radio City about 7.30 on the Sunday morning, there was a guy there in reception, and he had a ticket. You know, they used to have a perforation of the ticket, which they tore at the yeah. turnstile. His ticket had not been torn. He said that... It, I remember his words just straight... As soon as I walked in, he said, they opened the gates, Clive. They opened the gates. Wow. And everything I'd heard was that the gates had been broken down. He said, they opened the gates. And we did a phone-in <coughs> two hours that morning, and... Um, the Taylor Report was written pretty much by the end of it because everybody had the same story and it was slaughter of the innocents. It was just total mismanagement. And why the f*** it took 25, 30 years for anybody, to, for the rest of the world to come to that conclusion and recognise it for what it was um, remains an injustice which every football fan should be angry about because it could have been you. Three days after the tragedy, uh, I was... Uh, in the car park at Anfield with the press corps, and there were various media announcements being made. I don't even remember the pitch at Anfield was covered with floral tributes. And um, actually, the football club became almost the community centre for the victims. Uh, the, the players' lounge there, just off reception, was opened up to the families to come in. And the players, these 23, 24, 25-year-old spoiled kids... Um, became counsellors. No training for it, no idea. Mm. You know, sitting down at a table with, a, 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 you know, a grieving parent telling them, you know, my, you were my son's hero. I, I mean, it, it is... I, they, there's a very powerful drama uh, that, that was made about the actual events in the stadium, but there should be a drama made about how Sir Kenny Dalgleish and Marina, his wife, handled the next mm. week or so. And I've got to... Uh, suddenly got a message um, to go into the stadium from outside of the car park. Kenny wants to see you. Oh, oh God, what have I done? And uh, I walked in and he stood there and he was pale and drawn in reception. And he said, uh, Ian Whelan? And I said, are you okay with this? No, no, I'm just thinking of the traffic. Okay. Okay. I walked into reception and he's standing there, he was really pale and drawn. And he just said to me, Ian Whelan? And I said, Ian Whelan? He said he wanted to be a football commentator. You showed him around the radio station a couple of times? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Oh. His parents are inside. They wanted to meet Ronnie <clears throat> Whelan because that was Ian's hero, but actually he wanted to be you. So I went into this players' lounge where all the guys were uh, and all the families were and sat down with, um, with Ian's parents and his sister and um, 
you know, there was Liverpool was like a village that week. Everybody knew somebody who didn't come yeah. home. They went to a football match, didn't come home. And while I was in there, um, after about half an hour, I, was, I went to get some tea and there was a girl, a young woman there who I knew from a nightclub I used to go to in Birkenhead. Karen, what are you doing here? My dad. <laughs> and that's, you know, the, the only, 97 yeah. now. Um, and I, I knew the daughter of one of them and I knew one that, yeah. I mean, that everybody knew somebody. And, and it, 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 I say, it could have been anybody. I mean, there, there's been a, a crush at Sheffield Wednesday in the mm. last month. Goodness sake, yeah. you know, sorted it's, out. It's um, really, really powerful stuff there. And it's, it's amazing how the city come together and, yeah. and finally there is justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just before we close the pod, I just want to go on to look, we've, we've gone into your whole career and how brilliant you've been and what you've done. But there's, it feels like it's just been a little bit of a tarnish at the end with, <laughs> with ITV in terms of the way, I, I suppose the way it was dealt from the outset, I don't know whether you can enlighten us in terms of being the lead commentators for ITV and then and then being told that, that you're not going to be sort of leading, leading, leading the light. A lot of people were shocked as well, like the voice. Yeah. And you, you must have got a lot of love because I asked, I put some stuff in my gut and I knew you got a lot of love because everyone was surprised. And every, all of my mates are just like, they just couldn't, well, no one really likes change, do they? Yeah, no one well, likes I suppose it's a bit of a bell compliment that people are still talking about it two and a half years on, which um, is a, a consolation of a kind. Um, we're, I, I said right at the beginning, our careers are not dissimilar. We're, we're all a matter of opinion. So we're all up for somebody's selection. And if you don't get selected, uh, you sit stewing on the substitute's bench, muttering under your breath, and maybe the manager can hear you say, for God's sake, boss, have you seen him? You know, am I really not better than him? And I suppose, if I'm honest, I've, there's a bit of that going on with me to this day. But it's gone. It's no big deal. Um, it's a first world problem. You know, who's commentating on a football match? There's plenty going on in the world, which is far more important. I'm a very happy man. I've never been happier in my life. I've been a very, very lucky boy in my career. And I'm still working, so I can put it into perspective. But, you know, if I can capture the frustrations that you must have had at the times when you were being left out of teams, um, how many commentators are there working every weekend on the Premier League and major platforms? You've got um, either Sky or BT are doing it live, so you've got BBC Match of the Day, you've got Premier League Productions for the World mm -hmm. Feed, you've got NBC doing it for America... You've got Five Live, you've got Talk Sports. So, you, you know, there are 10 fixtures per weekend and probably six or seven different major platforms covering them. Different commentators will do two days. So, but you're talking 35, 40 commentators, aren't you? I'm a freelance. I'm yeah. available for employment for any of them. I don't work many weekends. I do a few for Talk Sport and I do a couple of season for Amazon Prime. Now, um, I'm not so vain that I think that I'm the best commentator uh, out there, but I'm one of the best fricking 35. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I am, it, it is a frustration, but yeah. it's no more than that. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I've got, when ITV moved me on, it came as a shock. It was a massive disappointment. Was I hurt? Mm, kind of, but define hurt. It's not hurt that other people feel. 
didn't leave me with any major financial yeah. issues, didn't leave me with any mental issues, and it hasn't stopped the world turning. So, you know, it, it, man up, Clive, and get on with it, really, is, is the message. And I still think I can do the job, and I still want to do the job, yeah. and I still do it with the same thoroughness and enthusiasm than ever I did. So I mentor half a dozen media students every year, and it's great that some of them have, have well, quite a few of them now, 10, 10 or 11, I think, are working full-time. Uh, so I just need them to get to director of football situations so that they can employ me before I die. <laughs> well, you are a legend. You are an icon of the game. Um, and I'm sure there's many, many more years to yeah. come. Burying just... John Watson this week. Oh, right, yes. Burying John Watson yeah, this another week. another legend. Yeah. Now that is a legend. Yes. So there yeah. you go. I mean, yeah. Perspective. Yeah. Well, our thoughts go out to all his family. Um, just three quick questions before okay. we wrap. Just quick questions. Uh, your favourite ground to commentate on or at? Um, oh, I, I, Anfield. Least favourite ground that you've had to climb up a ladder to get to the <laughs> uh, Yeah, I can think of a few back in the day where I don't like a vertical ladder particularly. Do you know some in the first first couple of rounds of the FA Cup where they build the yeah. gantry and then you've got to climb right, up a, yeah. a window cleaner's Do ladder, run corn. We oh. can't see once you get at the top. Yeah. Still can't what see the, the pitch. Like? The Dell? The Dell. Uh, yeah, the Dell was okay. It was yeah. kind of on the roof. Okay, it, yeah, yeah. It was on the you couldn't really see the near touch line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And last one, a favorite game that we haven't really touched on, or people that might not associate. Well, if, moment. if I can I mean I'm well aware that the average uh, age of you know uh, Joe's subscribers and stuff is is probably I don't know under thirty five, and sometimes I encourage people to go back and look at a game or look at a goal. Look at two things. Look at the fourth Brazilian goal in the nineteen seventy World Cup final. Mm. Find that and watch it yeah. because it might be the greatest goal that's ever been scored. And it's in a World Cup yeah. final. Coolness personified. Absolutely. Is. And I was fortunate enough to be at Anfield for the famous Liverpool four. Newcastle 3, which Stan, Stan oh. Collimore's late goal won. And if there's an extended edit of that anywhere on YouTube, it's just the most wonderful football match. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, Clive, it's been absolutely brilliant. We could go for, yeah, for hours you. and hours and hours. It's been, it's been brilliant. Um, thank you so much. And we not just me and Bridgie, but I'm yeah. sure everyone else listening, um, we hope and pray that you're still the voice of football for many years to come. It's in! There we go. <laughs> Love but, it. <laughs> Remember to find us on the Joe YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts from. You have been listening to the All to Play For podcast brought to you by Joe and Virgin Bet.